This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I am your host today. And I'm very excited because opening day is right around the corner. There's three days left, and there's plenty to be excited about, especially on the Chicago side of it. Today, I'm very excited to bring on a guest that is very knowledgeable in the baseball world, especially with the White Sox. He writes for Future Sox. If you don't know what that is, the website about prospects and everything else related to White Sox baseball. And he was kind enough to join me on my show today. And his name's Brian Billick. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian Billick underscore. It's exactly how it's spelled, exactly how it sounds. Brian Billick, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. So... You took a trip to Arizona this spring. Uh, how was that? It was awesome. We go almost every year. We get a group of like 10 guys between my dad, brother, my cousins, uh, another family friend. And, you know, it's a lot of hanging by the pool and drinking. <laughs> I wish I could have got more baseball in on, on the minor league side of things. But, you know, I was able to have a, a couple of fruitful conversations while I was there. Um, you know, definitely learned a bit. The, the team is very happy with uh, J.B. Shuck. I know a lot of fans on the internet were kind of confused by his inclusion on the roster because he's he's not a guy that gleams uh, in respect of advanced metrics, but I think Rob Ventura really values what he brings to the team off the bench, even if it is just being a late-inning pinch hitter against right-handed pitchers. The White Sox made a lot of moves this offseason. First, are you happy with the moves that they made with the additions of Frazier? They shored up the catcher spot, brought in Lurie for second, and he could play pretty much anywhere. Do you think this is enough for the White Sox to contend this year? I, I'm really happy with the offseason. Um, you know, I'm skeptical, of course. I mean, last season, we, you know, a lot of fans were happy as well. But I, I think the amount of risk in, in this offseason is minimal. I mean, the, the package the White Sox sent to L.A. for, for Todd Frazier, you know, if things were to go awry early in this year and, and they had to move um, Todd Frazier at the deadline, not that you want to do that, he's still – uh, you know, a very liquid asset, and I think they could get a return that's even better. Um, other than that, they're they're betting on a lot of uh, you know consistent performers, guys like Austin Jackson, guys like Matt Lato, and, and they got these guys at a very discounted price. So going into the off season, a lot of the pundits weren't sure whether the Sox were going to push and go for it again as they always do, or, or tear things down and and, uh, and rebuild. But I think if things go right for the Sox. They're a scary team in the playoffs. Nobody wants to face Chris Sale. Nobody wants to face Jose Quintana. And I think the world's going to learn a lot more about Carlos Rodon this year. But at the same time, if things don't go the way Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams hope, they didn't overextend themselves this offseason, and they're not really messing up any, uh, any long-term moves as far as uh, you know, a rebuilding type scenario. I think it was a really good thing that they brought in Austin Jackson as, as that kind of fourth outfielder piece who really kind of projects to be the center fielder, which allows... Adam Eaton, obviously, to move from center to right or left or whatever, and then you can have Melky go to DH or whatever. So I feel like that move was really flexible. But do you think that they missed out on somebody like like a you want to suspect as Alex Gordon, Dexter Fowler? Do you think that move would have put them over the top, or are they good with what they got? I mean, I'm I'm really afraid. During the offseason, I, I almost went away, went away from my brain and started operating with my heart more. They looked at it as they made uh, you know, a certain price point and a certain contract structure, and they were kind of going to stick to it. They were going to stick to their guns there. And every one of those guys went outside of their range. I mean, talks with Justin Upton never really went that far, and the other two with Gordon, but if they were in it to the end, 
But, you know, you make that move and things don't go well this year, I think you have to rebuild if things don't go the way they wish this year. They really, I mean, I know the Sox are known as that team that never really uh, put, put the full effort towards rebuilding, but they have to. And, and if they, you know, signed Alex Gordon and, you know, he has a couple hamstring issues during the year and, and all of a sudden you go 77 and uh, 85, it's like, what, is, what does that do for your rebuilding process? It, it, it would be a big, uh, a big trouble moving forward. So, it's not going to appease. It's not going to appease the fans uh, signing a guy like Austin Jackson. But I think you made a good point. He, he moves Adam Eaton to a corner. Adam Eaton could be a plus defender in a corner where in center field he's average or below average. Um, you know, moving a guy like Avi Garcia to DH out, instead of having him in right field that's a big addition by subtraction. I mean, it was funny when the Sox signed Austin Jackson and the whole. Adam LaRoche thing happened. They lost LaRoche and added Austin Jackson. And most projection modules had them uh, increasing like three games just from <laughs> just from those two moves with uh, you know Avi and uh, Adam LaRoche being additions by or yeah being additions by subtractions with uh, lesser roles and, and LaRoche retiring. We don't have to go into the whole LaRoche saga, but with him leaving, honestly, that's kind of a blessing for the White Sox to just dump thirteen million dollars like that, and you don't have to deal with this bum again. So what are they going to do with the 13 mil that they had onto their uh, payroll? I mean, it's interesting because w- with the timing of, of LaRoche leaving, it's, there's no one really out there to spend $13 million on. Uh, from what I understand, Han keeps saying he's talking with other teams and he's looking elsewhere. But they really do lack a left-handed bat, whether it be in the five-hole or the six-hole or you know a platoon-type bat. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they picked up uh, a guy like James Maloney or, you know, David Murphy was another guy who I thought made sense. But they they got to get something in there. Right now it's, it's looking like they're going to break camp with fans or Ishikawa in that 25th spot. And uh, that's a less than ideal scenario. So it, it is a blessing to lose, a you know, a negative war player like Adam LaRoche, who you're paying $13 million. But at the same time, I, I think LaRoche would have had – some sort of some sort of a a rebound. He was injured last year, and it was kind of underreported. But uh, they don't really have anyone to replace him, so we'll have to see. Definitely uh, in July, if they felt so inclined to make a move, assuming they are in the playoff race, they have that money to spend. So I'm sure uh, Rick Hunt's happy about having that flexibility. What about the rotation? Sale, Rodon, and Quintana obviously are the guys in the top, but. Once you get below that, Danks is kind of a question mark. He looked good this spring. I guess Navarro picked up on a, a thing where he was tipping his pitches, which I thought was interesting. But your fifth starter, mm-hmm. was there was a three-guy te- three competition, Jacob Turner, Eric Johnson, and Matt Latos. And it looks like it's Matos, Latos' job, but he hasn't been very good the last few years, and not even this spring has been good for him yet. There was a report that Kevin Gausman was kind of pursued by the White Sox after he was released by the uh, Orioles. Do you think that's a possibility, and do you think this rotation is good enough to carry them throughout the season? Well, I love the depth that they have in their rotation. Um, it, you know, a lot of people hate John Banks, but you, you pit him against the other fifth starters in the league, and he's pretty acceptable. He's going to get you 180, 190 innings. You know, he, he might get shelled every third start out there, but he's, he's a good veteran presence in the clubhouse. And quite frankly, I don't know that his spot is, is that secure when, when uh, we're moving into June and July if he's not performing. And they do have options like Eric Johnson and Carson Fulmer and perhaps Jacob Turner to, to uh, knock him out of the spot. And, you know, they did say that Matt Latos was competing for that fifth spot, but I, I think that was more of a formality uh, in the media. I don't think the White Sox ever doubted that he was going to be there in their rotation. 
And he's a move that I, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, just getting him at an annual value of $3 million. Is, I mean, that's, right. if he pitches 100 innings of, of full ERA ball, he'll be worth more than that $3, $3 million. So I, I don't put a lot of weight into his last two years because he did have uh, you know the shoulder issue. Last year he came out in Miami and he was absolutely terrible, but he was sitting 88-89. And once he got fully recovered, he got his fastball up back over that 93 range, and he was very good. And, uh, you know, he even moved the Dodgers to, to give up some good pieces to trade for him. And he didn't work out when he went to L.A., but when you have three starts in, in the ball, I think he had like a backup of over 400 when he was with the Dodgers. Oh, and they just weren't in a position to, you know, let him work out the kinks. But, you know, he's a guy that's discounted because of his attitude, and I, I think he's a guy that has to understand that this is a good opportunity for him to come to a place where, where pitchers typically thrive, where pitchers, um, you know, who have lost it, have, have found it here with, with Don Cooper. So I, I think he could be a, a, a big point of surplus value at the back end of the rotation. You mentioned Carson Fulmer earlier, and I want to shift the focus on some prospects here because there was a few that kind of caught my eye as I was just following along throughout the spring. Um, what's your opinion of Jacob May, this 24-year-old center fielder? He was in A last year, spent, I think it was 98 games down there, did really well. He's got speed, good defensively, doesn't really have much power. Do you think he's kind of a piece that we can look forward to as White Sox fans moving forward? Do you think he could be a center fielder for, of the future, or what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jacob May because uh, ever since, you know, going to Sox Fest and, and hearing – just about everything Rick Hahn, I think I was at every one of his seminars and, and interviews, and he was quick to bring up Jacob May as a guy who can contribute in 2016. Um, I, I think his floor is very high. The guy is a gazelle in center field. He is, like, uh, I think, 70 or 75 grade speed in center field, and probably going to end up hitting eighth or ninth in the major leagues if he's in a starting capacity. But this is a guy who's got good on-base skills. He's a smart player. Um, I had the the fortune of interviewing him, and he's a very uh, well-adjusted kid. He's very polite, and, and he does well with his coaches. And just being out in spring training, that was another guy whose name came up more than a few times. Uh, Nick Caffer, who works with the Sox, he uh, was, was very bullish on Jacob May. You know, they're very happy with how he played this spring and what he brought to the game. And, you know, he was on the roster, I think, up until, what, two days ago. He was on the roster all the way up to when they were making their last cut. So they, they like what they see with him. And last year, he was hitting 300 with a 350 on base percentage in the first half. And he had an unfortunate collision with Tim Anderson that kind of, uh, you know, just ended his season abruptly with the concussion he received uh, on behalf of that concussion. So I expect him to come back to Charlotte and, uh, and, and look good there again. And if the Sox have an injury, that he might be the guy that comes up. You mentioned Tim Anderson. He was the 2013 White Sox first-round pick. Am I correct? So how close is he to the major leagues? Because I know they have this dynamic duo of Jimmy Rollins and Saladino over at short and Brett Laurie at second. Do you think Anderson could contribute sometime this year, maybe next year in the infield? Certainly next year. I think that's the plan the Sox have with him. He's had a very uh, traditional trajectory in the White Sox system. He hasn't been – he's been moved quickly considering how raw he was when he was drafted. But he wasn't rushed as the White Sox have been accused of doing with their other prospects. He's kind of been on a year-by-year uh, movement. But he's a guy that he's a free swinger, and his athletic ability and his back speed really allow him to be a free swinger and kind of get away with it. So I think starting the year in Charlotte, he's going to face a lot of crafty, you know, 27-year-old starters who aren't quite good enough to pitch in the pros, but they're, they're you know, darn good pitchers in AAA. 
and they might expose him, and, and he's going to have to learn how to, you know, cut back in the ahead of the count, swinging at the first pitch all the time, stuff like that. So he might have a slower start than he's typically used to, but I think we seeing him in September this year is is definitely not out of you know out of the realm of possibility. But looking forward to next year, he, he's probably going to be the guy they they pencil in at shortstop. Saladino is a, a fundamentally sound player with with some good uh with a good glove and a good arm at all three positions in the infield. But he's not he's not a guy you uh, hit your wagon to if if you're looking to be a playoff team. And I think Tim Anderson certainly could be. And how about Carson Fulmer? Do you think he because the White Sox are really big on bringing up top pitching prospects? We saw him with Rodon and Sale. Do you think Fulmer mm-hmm. is up at m- middle of the season this year, around June maybe in the bullpen, or can he even handle the starting duties? I, I think he could handle either side. It, it's interesting because the White Sox have more pitching depth than they've had. And I don't know how long, at least at least the last five years, this is the best pitching depth they've had. They, they even have some intriguing bullpen options in, in Omont and, and Tommy Conley that are going to be pitching at Charlotte. And whether he's going to be up in, in May or September, I don't know where, where they're going to put him. You know, these are just whispers, and I, I would only take them with a grain of salt, but people that are around Carson Fulmer seem to think he's going to be up in May. Nice. So I, don't, I, I don't know what capacity that would be in. I mean, Carlos Rodon came up on April 21st last year. But the Sox had Hector Noesi, who has been one of the worst pitchers in baseball, <laughs> in their fifth spot. So there, there was room for a guy like Rodon last year where, you know, Fulmer, I'm sure he, he has the opportunity to pitch his way into the White Sox bullpen or into the White Sox rotation. But he might need an injury or, or a player or two really underperforming for that to happen. Really good stuff, man. So I'm going to – I'm gonna. End this interview here with your predictions for the AL Central and if the White Sox make the playoffs or not. I want, I'm interested to hear because the, the Central, I can't put my finger on it. Like I'm trying to dissect this you. thing, and it's like the Tigers, they made moves to improve their offense. They got a closer. And the Twins, you know, they have those three-headed monsters, Rosario, Sano, and Buxton down there. If they can produce, you never know with them. Then the Indians have one of the best rotations in baseball. I just, I don't know. I, I can't tell. What do you think? I think the American League... Projecting the American League this year is, I mean, it is going to look so bad. Anybody who makes their projections this year is just going to look back in September and, and, and laugh at them. Because in the, between the Central and the East specifically, any one of these teams could win the division. I, I think both the Twins and the Orioles are you know, going to be the most popular spot. Uh, their most popular spot will be last place. But as you brought up with the Twins, they have a very dynamic offense. I personally don't think they have any semblance of a pitching rotation that looks like a playoff roster, but they surprised some teams last year. If I had to pick somebody coming out of the Central, I've always liked Cleveland. Uh, they've made a lot of defensive improvements this year. I think uh, Lindor might be an MVP candidate, and, th- and those three guys at the top of the rotation are, are pretty scary, so nobody's going to want to face them in the playoffs, but at the same time, you brought up the Tigers. It's like that team got a lot better, and they even got a little bit younger, and everybody's just putting them in fourth place as if they don't have any talent. No, nobody wants to face their, their their bats two through seven. I mean, they have some serious right-handed power in Detroit. So the Sox with their role of left-handed pitchers are going to be uh, – they're, they're going to be getting in some battles with the Tigers. So, you know, the Sox definitely are the team that I'm, I'm, I want to pick. But I, if I had to go to my head, I, had, I would go Cleveland. But the Sox got to win in the division. Uh, the last Ever since Rob Ventura has taken over, they have been atrocious in the division with, uh, you know, the Royals and the Twins specifically just having their number. If the Sox want to win this division, they got they got to play the best in their division. All right, Billick, thanks a lot for joining me. Once again, Brian Billick from Future Sox. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian Billick underscore. 
Thanks a lot, man. It's really, really good stuff. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. That was my White Sox guy, Brian Billick, and he had a lot of useful information for all you White Sox fans out there. I hope you enjoyed it because he knows his stuff, and you should probably follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. But I want to shift the focus now from the White Sox side of things over to the North side because there's a ton of expectations, and I've talked about this enough. And really, for the first time in a long time, the Cubs should be considered realistic World Series favorites. Favorites, not threats but the team that should win the World Series, according to a lot of baseball minds, it will be the Cubs this year. And there's a lot of reasons why they're the favorites. This offseason, they hit on a lot of big-time free agent signings. They made a big-time deal that allowed them to bring in Ben Zobris. They traded Starlin Castro for Adam Warren, freed up a lot of cap space. They were able to invest money in Zobrist. And then they won the Jason Hayward sweepstakes with a couple of opt-outs in the eight-year, $184 million contract for the 26-year-old outfielder. Then all of a sudden, you add that to a team that already had Chris Bryant, who had 99 RBIs, Anthony Rizzo, who had 101 RBIs, Addison Russell, who was brought in via trade, and is only 22 years old, and he's projected to be one of the best defensive infielders in baseball. Probably one of the best shortstops in baseball on the defensive side. A lot of people are considering him to win a gold glove this year. And that's something to be excited about. I know he's going to improve on the offensive side of the ball. I expect his power numbers to go up. I mean, I, I remember watching a game letting JD did on WGN or whatever it was, and they did an over-under of the amount of home runs Addison Russell was going to hit in 2016. And they were putting it at like 18 or 19, and then as they said that, Addison Russell hit a home run. So that's something that is really exciting to me, is that the development of Addison Russell, not only defensively, because we know he's going to be fantastic defensively he's got it with the glove but on the offensive side Joe Mann even said that he's not gonna worry about batting him ninth he's gonna usually bat the pitcher ninth now because Russell doesn't need some protection you know last year they used him in the nine hole so then they could roll over to the top of the order a little bit differently so it was just a little different approach it worked in his mind I mean I don't know how much of a difference it made on the overall wins and losses but Russell spent a lot of time in the nine hole, and that's going to change this year. And I feel like he's going to be kind of an X factor in the Cubs lineup. You you have production. You know you're going to get production from the top of the order guys, especially Hayward, Fowler, Zobris, Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, Addison Russell, and all the production he brings. And it's just an extra plus. So the infield looks like this. It's going to be Chris Bryant third, Addison Russell at short, Ben Zobris at second, and Anthony Rizzo at first. Now that's pretty solid up the middle with Russell and Zobrist. Then you go behind the plate, Montero, David Ross, Kyle Schwarber. David Ross, on the last year of his contract, Miguel Montero, I think he has two years, including this year. And then you have Kyle Schwarber. And Schwarber apparently is going to be Jason Hamill's personal catcher, which I think is going to be great, because that means you can implement Solaire into the outfield, and that lineup's just going to be deadly. But... Schwarber's got a lot of work to do defensively at the catcher spot, so I'm not sure how much more often he's going to be there than he is in, well, obviously he's going to play left more, but I'm not sure how often he's going to be a catcher, and honestly, the best Cubs lineup is with Schwarber at catcher, but his defense, he's just so bad defensively that it just hurts them, so he's going to be in left field, and is he really that bad in left field? No. Yeah, he's, he's probably going to be a below average, but really you have Fowler slash Hayward, whoever is going to be manning center, at the, he's going to help him out. He doesn't have to cover a lot of ground. He's just got to be able to make the routine plays, maybe make a couple 
over the shoulder grabs. He looked good in spring training. I'm talking about Swarber out and left. He he has good reads on the ball. You can tell he's improving. So that's something very encouraging. I wrote a piece for Cubby's Crib of Fan Sided, and I talked about how the Cubs lineup is good enough to carry them to the World Series, but it wouldn't be necessarily carrying them if their rotation is so entirely solid the way it's structured. Jake Arrieta is their number one. And let's talk about Jake Arrieta a little bit, because last year he threw 248 innings, which is a buttload. And I don't think he had more than 160-something before this season. He really came on strong in 2014. He opened a lot of people's eyes, because before that, he was kind of a work in progress, and he looked to be a failed prospect in Baltimore. But once the Cubs were able to acquire him and Pedro Strope for Steve Clevenger and Scott Feldman, Jake Arrieta kind of turned his career around, kind of. He only won a Cy Young last year and won a winner-take-all wildcard game. So the point is, the Cubs are definitely going to watch Arietta's numbers this year, and for them to be able to do that, they're going to need to rely on their depth in the staff because they have John Lester as their two, Jason Hamill, John Lackey was a huge signing in the offseason, and Kyle Hendricks filling it out. And then below that, it'll be Adam Warren, Trevor Cahill, Clayton Richard, and Travis Wood as potential guys who can fill in if anybody gets hurt, if there's a spot start that needs to be made, or if somebody just needs to take a sixth day off. They're there for you. And I think that goes a long way. And the Cubs this offseason made it a point that they were going to keep eight relievers. The 25-man rosters finally set, and the injury to Javier Baez kind of influenced who made the team. Caesar wasn't projected to be on the Cubs' five-man roster. He was actually, he's out of options. So if he didn't make the team, he would have had to pass through waivers to go to AAA, and I doubt he would have made it that far because the team probably would value him in a certain extent. But Caesar made the squad, and they, as I mentioned, they wanted to keep eight relievers, and it was pretty much a two-guy battle. They cut Rex Brothers early in the spring, a lefty that they brought signed as a free agent, and I was kind of surprised at that. Because it was so early, but apparently he was just so terrible that he was just not even worth the trouble of keeping. So it, it came down to two players, Neil Ramirez and Spencer Patton. Spencer Patton has options available, while Neil Ramirez doesn't. Also, Neil Ramirez is coming off a major shoulder-slash-admin injury that kept him out all of last year. Ramirez showed tremendous value in 2014 as this late-inning dominant reliever. 97-99 mile-an-hour fastball with a devastating slider. Acted as the setup man for the most part, and he was pretty much automatic. But unfortunately, the injury bug caught up to him, and now his velocity's down 90-93 to miles an hour. So that's kind of concerning, but the electric slider's still there, and I think the Cubs don't want to give up on him yet. And why should they given his dominant past, but they were able to free up some roster spots for him. The eight bullpen pieces allow depth to the pitching staff, which is a good thing, allows the starters to not have to go as many innings. So keeping Ramirez was great. We'll see how he develops as the year progresses. We'll see. We're going to have to monitor his velocity as the season goes on. But that's something to keep in mind. Tommy LaStella made the team. There's no, that shouldn't be any surprise, but he was hurt, and he was kind of battling with Shane Victorino, Minori Kawasaki, and a couple others. 
But in the end, it was Listella who won the job. Despite his injury, Listella looks really good in the spring. I mean, I think he was hitting over 400 his last seven games or so that he's been healthy. So that's encouraging. But he's not going to be one of those everyday pieces. But he's valuable in the sense that he can play third, he can play second, and he's a big-time contact hitter. Guy doesn't strike out very much. But again, spent a lot of time last year on the injury report, and that kind of sucked because you you needed a guy like him in the lineup as a pinch hitter or a spot start for Brian at third where he can maybe move to the outfield for whatever reason. It's just nice to have him there. He just has to be healthy. Now for Kawasaki, I liked him a lot, and he didn't do anything wrong this spring. It's just Joe Madden even mentioned the only thing that it lacked was opportunity for the guy. So I expect him to be up sometime throughout the season, but until then, we're just going to have to watch his crazy dances on maybe AAA videos. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sure this guy is going to be up soon. But overall, I wanted to kind of wrap this Cubs conversation up by saying, yes, they will win the World Series and they will do it by winning the Central. And I think it's going to be competitive. Very, very competitive in the Central this year. I think the Cardinals are very talented still. I think they have enough to even win the Central. But I think the Cubs are just just better than them, period. I think they haven't they they did enough in the offseason. They made enough trades and they they're flexible enough financially to be able to make trades by the deadline to address specific needs. And I think that's kind of a key here because if the Cubs really do want to pursue another top starter, maybe Salazar Carrasco's available, maybe somebody else comes up and you want to be able to move someone, they have pieces to do that. Vogelbach pieces in the minors. You don't necessarily have to give up Solaire though I think you're going to have to if you're going to pick up a guy like Salazar. But for the most part, you you got guys to work with in the minor leagues that are expendable, to be honest, in order to acquire a big-time starter or even a big-time reliever. So nothing's out of the question for the Cubs there. But with the Cardinals, they have depth in the outfield despite losing Jason Hayward. Tommy Pham's got a ton of power. Randall Grichuk's really good. Steve Piscotty's really good. They they still have some pieces there. Matt Holliday, will, hopefully for them, will be healthy more than he was last year. Overall, their lineup is solid, and their rotation's good enough to compete in the National League. Michael Walker, Adam Wainwright, Jaime Garcia, Carlos Martinez. They're They're good. That's a good team. The Pirates, though, I don't know if the Pirates are good enough. I think they'll they'll be competitive. Maybe they'll be in a wild card hunt, but it will surprise me if they come close to the top spot in the division. I mean, they lost Pedro Alvarez. They lost AJ Burnett. They replaced Alvarez with John Jaso. Not very good. Made a couple moves to bolster their rotation. It's not good enough. This season with the Pirates, I just just feel like they're meh. You know, I I feel like they're good enough to kind of compete. But at the same time, I don't think they're good enough to compete with the Cubs and Reds uh, and the Cardinals. So that that maybe they surprise some people. Yeah, they their their outfield's very good. McCutcheon, Polanco, Marte. I'll take that all day, every day. But at the same time, it, their their infield's not very good. Rotation's not super good. Besides Garrett Cole and Francisco Liriano, Mark Melanson's really good though. He's he's dominant in the back end of the bullpen. I don't think the Cubs ever were able to generate any kind of offense against him last year. He's a problem, but at the same time, it's just, you put it all together. I don't see anything. I don't see the pirates competing 
as much. The two wild card spots, one is going to go to the Cardinals, and then the other one is just it's up for grabs because I feel like the Giants in the West are the team to beat there. The Dodgers, Diamondbacks, they they're going to be in it. Nationals, Mets are going to be in it. So Pirates are going to have to battle. I feel like it's going to be Cardinals, Mets in the wild card with the Nationals winning the East, Cubs in the Central, and the Giants in the West. The Giants had a really good offseason. And if there's going to be a team that's going to challenge the Cubs this year for for an NLCS crown, it's going to be the Giants. Their rotation's stacked. Their offense is very strong. And I'm, I don't know. That's the team. That's the team I'm kind of worried about throughout the season, more so than the Cardinals, despite the fact that they're in their own division. Probably have to eat those words because the Cardinals always turn out to be this crazy team that really dominates. And no matter what happens to them, no matter how many injuries they have, no matter the players they lose, like Albert Pujols, who was just coming off one of the best seasons ever, and they just said bye-bye, they always have someone. And quite frankly, that's what the Cubs are trying to do right now. They're trying to run the organization like the Cardinals. And so far, so good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, I can't complain with the ahead-of-schedule NLCS appearance. But I think this year, they did a tremendous job of addressing specific issues relating to the strikeout rate, bringing in contact savvy guys, Ben Zobras, Jason Hayward, to address that ridiculous 1,500 strikeout team total that they had last year. And then also another issue is their ability to drive in runs. They were in the bottom three in the entire MLB of being able to score with runners in scoring position per game. So that's something that they needed to do. And I feel like this lineup with the addition of Schwarber in a full season, also Jorge Soler as your fourth outfielder and possibly first bench option. I mean, Soler could be a middle-of-the-order bat for a lot of teams this year, but it's just crazy the amount of depth the Cubs have, and I feel like it's going to be enough. I feel like the Cubs, this is the year, guys. This is it. I'm all in. This rotation's solid. They have enough players that they can take and distribute if they need to address positions in need by the deadline. This Theo Epstein has built a team that essentially had nothing, no value. Their their prospects were garbage. Their Their team was going nowhere. And it was obvious, this entire process, going back to 2012, that first agonizing season that Epstein took over, they lost 101 games. And then the following season, they lost 96 games. And it was just like, okay, wow, this sucks. But we know we have this vision, and we believe in the vision. And eventually, it's going to take shape. 2014 happened, and there was a lot of positives. We saw the emergence of Jake Arrieta. We saw Jeff Samarja be traded for Addison Russell. And there were 73 games won. It was the most the Cubs have won in a long time. That was something positive to build on. And we went into 2015 thinking, okay, it's a let's see what happens kind of year. But suddenly all these stars emerged in Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. They all contributed. Addison Russell came up. It was just everything came into motion, and it was just beautiful. And this they won 97 games, competed against the top teams in baseball who spent all this money, had all these all these pieces, and here are the Cubs who had Dexter Fowler as one of their oldest players. It was just insane. I'm so excited for the baseball season to start. Just knowing that there's going to be baseball from now until October is just so comforting for me. Every single day of the week, you could just you know in the back of your mind that there's a baseball game going on, and you just kind of feel kind of feel good about it. You know, you know that something's going on that 
you you pay attention to, even if you are at work or sitting in your office and just hating life, you know that guys more talented than you are playing the game that they love, that you love, and you're not. But I mean, at the same time, it's like awesome. You know what I mean? Baseball is awesome. And I'm so happy that it's back. I can't wait. But I want to I wanna real quick give you my playoff predictions. I, I know I've done a show before, but now it's, I have to do it. Three days away from opening day, I got to do it. So, like I said, Cubs win the Central, Giants win the West, Nationals win the East, with the Cardinals taking the first wild card spot and the Mets taking the second. Now, over on the American League side, Billick and I had that conversation earlier in the show about how this AL Central is up for grabs. Now, if I were to guess, I I'm I like the Indians a lot, but I don't know if their lineup is good enough to overtake the the Royals. Yeah, their pitching staff's solid. Trevor Bauer was he could be a three starter, maybe even a two starter in many rotations, but he's in the bullpen. Abraham Almonte, their center fielder, he's out for eighty games. Michael Brantley's out until what probably will be until May. So their lineup's taking a hit. They have Marlon Bird in right. Uh, Juan Uribe at third, Mike Napoli at first. That's not, you know, I mean, not really good about feeling good about that one. But yeah, I got to take the Royals in the central. I don't think the White Sox are going to be good enough to make a wild card. So I, sorry, White Sox fans, I don't think they're going to make it. But who am I to say, you know, they'll probably win 110 games out of nowhere. Then I'd be like, hey, Mike Rankin, remember, uh, remember when you said you didn't? Think we're gonna make a wild card? Yeah, we'll suck it. All right. Well, then in the West, I like the Astros, and then in the East, that's got to be the Blue Jays. I don't know if anybody else would not take the Blue Jays because that team is just crazy powerful in every single facet. But yeah, the two wild cards. Then that one, that one's gonna be interesting. I mean, the Rangers. The I don't know about the Angels. The Angels are kind of a mess, but the Rangers are in it. The Indians are in it. The White Sox are in it. Quite frankly. No, the Red Sox probably not. I don't see the Rays in it either. Maybe the Yankees, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go Rangers for wild card spot one and Indians for wild card spot two. So there you have it. Got some MLB predictions for you before opening day. I feel like Bryce Harper's gonna win the NL MVP again, but who knows? Uh, maybe it's Goldschmidt this year. Maybe it's Anthony Rizzo. Maybe Anthony Rizzo absolutely kills it. But I don't know. I think after what Harper did last year, I mean, he's only going to get better. Uh, it's insane to say, but this kid, it seems like he's been in the league for 10 years and he's only, what, 24, 23? It's insane what he's doing. And, yeah, Trout and the AL MVP. So Trout and Harper, top of, the, uh, top of the baseball world once again. As for the best pitchers in baseball, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like Chris Sale... We'll have his Cy Young season, and he's going to have to if he wants his team to be in the playoffs. Quite frankly, Sale's just going to have to be a Cy Young caliber pitcher, which he is, and I think he'll. I think this is his year to win it. On the NL side, that's a great question. I oh boy, I don't see Jake Arrieta winning it again. That would be kind of crazy. Zach Greinke might do it. He had an insane season last year. Clayton Kershaw's in it again. We'll see, but I I don't know. I I think I'll have to go with Greinke. But I'll probably change my mind midway through the season, as I always do. But yeah, baseball's coming, guys. I can't wait for it. I hope you are ex- as excited as I am because this this should be a very entertaining season, especially in Chicago. And I want to thank once again to Brian Billick for joining me of Future Sox. It was a great interview. He offered a ton of valuable insight. 
Thank you for listening to Behind the Pen. I am your host, Mike Rankin. This has been a presentation of MVP, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.